It's interesting, as I was preparing for the sermon and looking at what I wanted to use as an opening illustration and thinking about what I used last week, some of you might think that I'm, I'm a huge sports fanatic, which is just so not true, but you get two football references in a row. Please don't judge me. Anybody know who Vince Lombardi is? I think that's one of those people, like, even if you don't know sports, you at least have heard the name. Who did he coach for? Green Bay. There you go. Green Bay Packers. We need Lynn Ensign here. Where's Lynn? He was famous for many things. One of them was, was some interesting quotes. And there was a particular season where he was meeting with the team and kind of preseason practices to get ready for the upcoming season. And they had just come off of a very good season, but disappointing. They had made it to the championship and lost. Heartbreaking loss. And so he's looking at this preseason practice to say, where do we go from here? How do we start and move on? And he decides he's going to go back to basics. And so he holds up a football. And he tells them, I'm, I'm, we're going to start at the beginning. We're going back to the very fundamentals. He holds up the football and he says, gentlemen, this is a football. To which one of the players promptly said, slow down, coach, you're going too fast. Now, In a few weeks, in about four weeks, we're going to start a sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. We went through John, I think about two years ago or so, maybe longer. Um, But I'm looking forward to walking through the Gospel of Matthew. But before we get there, I want to look at what is at the heart of the Gospel of Matthew, which is the Gospel. And so we're going to take just about three weeks to do a, a brief sermon series on what is the Gospel. Our mission statement as a church is that we exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. And you see right there at the heart of who we are as a church, it's all based on, accomplished through, not our effort, not our incredible production, not our amazing technology, because we don't have most of those things. It's based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the gospel is at the heart and the center of the church, Christ does amazing things. And that's who we are as a church, to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. So, what is the gospel? This is one of those things, I think, as Christians, that maybe we hear an evangelist or we listen to a gospel presentation in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or a neighbor, a parent, a friend, and and it's good and we receive the gospel, we accept the gospel, we pray to receive Jesus as our Savior and that's the heart of the gospel, but then we kind of want to move on. Well, I know the gospel, now I want to learn deeper things in theology. And yet the more I have studied, especially the Apostle Paul, the more I see that he keeps going back to the gospel. You never move on in your Christian life from the gospel of Jesus Christ. You always keep going deeper in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is not just a basic thing of Christianity. It is the very foundation upon which everything else is built. And if we lose sight of that, we might accidentally start building off the side of the foundation. And I'm no architect, but I'm guessing that's a bad idea. And it's very easy to do in churches 
and in our Christian life to begin building separately from the gospel. So today we're going to look at the gospel as God's great news. Next week we're going to look at the gospel as God's great plan. And the following week the gospel is God's great power. So today we want to look at this idea that the gospel is God's great news. And to understand this news, we have to start at the beginning and why we are created. God created us for life. Isn't it depressing to go out walking around right now, go into stores, see everybody with masks on, and there is this constant, necessary, and important, but frustrating fear of death pervading everything. Fear of sickness. We are reminded every time we look at another person with a mask on, on what something, something that should be on our minds all the time, but it is especially on our minds now, that something is broken. But we were created for life. God created us to live in a relationship with him. One dictionary defines life this way. The condition that distinguishes organisms from inorganic objects and dead organisms being manifested by growth through metabolism, reproduction, and the power of adaptation to environment through changes originating internally. I get chills. That's just so inspiring. Makes me want to be a better person and live a better life. No. This to me is like describing a Monet painting by trying to describe the individual dots of of paint on the canvas and what color or hue or shade they have. And if you could just graph all of that, then you would understand Monet. And you wouldn't at all. You would completely miss the point. Because the artist, in this case Monet, when he painted the picture, he had a purpose. He had a reason. There was something he was trying to communicate, something he was trying to represent. And if you miss that, In the painting, you'll never really understand it. And if we miss that in life, we'll never understand what life is all about. So, we are created for life. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we have the artist of life defined, proclaimed, declared. God created the heavens and the earth. There's the artist right there. So if we're going to look at the intent of life, we have to start here And God, being really super smart, does exactly that in Scripture. Let's start with the artist. We are created by God. And we are created for life. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. We are created in God's image. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So not only are we created to be alive, but we are created for a particular kind of life. Psalm 100 verse 3 kind of expounds on this. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So we are not a cosmic science experiment that God wound up and said, go for it, let's see what you do. And he's just sort of watching us from a distance, as Bette Midler used to sing about. That's, that's not how scripture declares creation to be. We belong to God. We are his sheep. He is personally involved in the day-to-day affairs of the world, the universe, and our particular lives. We belong to him. 
we are to live in a relationship with him. And that relationship, as Genesis 1, 26 and 27 talked about, is to reflect who God is, to be image bearers, to show the world who God is, and to be able to worship him, to reflect his character and his nature in a particular way. The essence of the gospel is that the God who created us loves us, and he wants to live in a loving relationship with us to live in a loving relationship with him. That's why we are created. That's why this world was created. All of it is about our relationship between us and God. You know, when man set foot on the moon, they planted a flag. They said, we're we're here. We have been here. We have touched this place. We have come to this distant world and we are involved. We have been here now. Some people wonder, does God care about this creation? Is he involved at all? And at the very heart of the gospel, there is a flag that has been planted where God says, not only am I involved and always have been involved, but I have stepped in when you needed it most. And that flag is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it means so many things, and we'll look at some of those. But one of it is that God, our creator, created us for a relationship, and he has not given up on that. Living in relationship with God is, is not just the purpose of life, according to Scripture. It is the very definition of life. We live because God created us and because God sustains us. Which means, as we look at the gospel, the good news, we have to always hold on to this bad news. We're created for life, but we're living in death. Since God is the author and sustainer of life, any other way of living outside of that relationship with God is by necessity death. It's like taking a power tool and saying, I don't want to plug it into the wall. I'd rather just plug it into my hand or I'd rather just plug it into this chair. I have all these infinite possibilities. I'll just plug it in wherever I want, but not into an electrical socket. And then getting frustrated why it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work because you took it from the one thing that would power it and you tried to plug it into something else. You know, a flower that is still connected at its roots and in the ground is drawing up nourishment. It's living, it's growing. It's interacting with the sun and the air and the soil and the water. It's alive. And then somebody comes along and has this great idea that I want to show love to my wife. So I'm going to take that beautiful living thing and I'm going to hack it off and then give her a bundle of flowers. Understand what I've just done. See, I'm a raging romantic. Here it is. Ready? (laughs) I have just given her a bundle of death. Next Valentine's Day, men, this is your excuse for not giving flowers. Think about it. Does it look beautiful? Absolutely. Is it still vibrant and green and and the roses are still red? Certainly. And if you keep it in the water, will it help it to look good for a while? Absolutely. But make no mistake, it is dying. When it was cut from that moment, cut off of its source of life, Death begins. And the early stages of that death look great. They're beautiful. But after two, three, 
four days a week on your counter, the kitchen table, you begin to see the death take shape as it wilts and the petals fall off and it falls over and it shrivels and it dies. And all of that was determined by the moment it was cut. We live in human history in the time between the cutting and the ultimate wilting and death. And we see signs of it periodically. We feel them in our bodies. We see them in our culture. We see them in racial tensions. We see them in viruses that are spreading. We see the wilting and the falling off of the leaves, but there's still a part of us that wants to say, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter. We can make it work. And the Bible says, no, death has entered the world. According to scripture, rejecting the loving relationship with God is the very definition of death. All of the physical aspects of death are merely the side effects of that reality. God is life. And so when Adam and Eve chose to go a different way, when they were born, well, not born, they were created in a relationship with God, and they said, thanks, but no thanks, we want to do it on our own, they turned away from the source of life and said, I want to go a different way. And we are all born into that relationship. But in the cross, in the cross, we see the ultimate price for that choice. The cross is both good news and bad news. Because it shows us the penalty, the ultimate outcome of that choice. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 to 25 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. So we're created in this perfect environment, in a perfect relationship with God. We said, thanks, but no thanks, wanting to go our own way. And then we start filling our lives. It's not freedom. We start filling our lives with all these other things that we want to worship. This will make me happy. I've cut myself off from what truly makes me happy. Now I've got to look for something else. And the great rat, rat race of humanity began. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. That is one of the saddest passages of all of Scripture. This is the living death that our world is in. Now, why would a loving, powerful God allow that? Why didn't he just step in and just take a cosmic eraser when Adam and Eve sinned and just say, I'll just erase that sin. We'll just, we'll do a do-over. We'll pretend like it never happened. Why doesn't he just do that with us? We'll, we'll just pretend like you didn't sin. It's no big deal. We'll, we'll flick a switch and just start over and, and it's like it never happened. Because God is just. And the Bible tells us about sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. There is a penalty for our sin. It cannot just be ignored. So when we look at the cross, we see both the salvation from our sins, the payment for our sins, but also the consequence of our sin. That's how God is 
just. He paid the price through his son Jesus Christ in our place. Not just erasing the sin, paying for it. Being the perfect righteous judge and paying in our place the price for our sin. Once humanity turned from God, there were really only two options. Either God would take the punishment for sin, which is death, and put it on everybody, or he would wait. And he would put this in-between time before the punishment came. And he would send a Savior to pay the price in our place. By not punishing sin right away, but rather by allowing it to go on in this world, God has created this moment of mystery, this moment of mercy in history. And you and I are living in that moment. The moment when the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ can go forth. And when people who are destined for death can receive life through Jesus Christ. This is the great news of the gospel, that we are saved by grace. The gospel shows us that God overcame our sin through Jesus Christ taking our place on the cross. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we, are, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's that, the problem and the penalty, and it's not just overlooked, it's a substitute that came in and took it for us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 puts it this way, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works so that no one can boast. We don't come to God and say, look at how great I've been. Look at all the amazing things I've done. We come to God and say, look how great you are. Look at what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. I am nothing, but he died in my place, and I trust in Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith. The gospel shows us we are created for life, but we're living in death. We can be saved through grace, but it doesn't end there. Because God's plans always succeed. In the gospel, we are given new life. The cross shows us also, by the very nature that Jesus finished on the cross, came down from the cross, went in the grave, and rose to new life, the empty cross shows us that that's not our ultimate end. Romans 6, chapter 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, Through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You can hear the strains of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in there. The life that we were created for, but we lost in the garden, and we lose continually through our own sin, is recovered through Jesus Christ, and we are made new in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. And I love the tense of that. I don't get excited about grammar very often, but this is one of those times. The new is here. 
One day Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. One day we will go and be with him and this world will be changed. Hallelujah. One day we'll live in his perfect presence forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. But look at the grammar here. The new is here. We are not waiting to become who we are in Jesus Christ. We are saved and given new life right now. That's what defines us as Christians. It has to be what defines us as Christians. The gospel is God's great news. So look here, four things. Created for life, living in death, saved by grace, and given new life. And before I move on, I need to make abundantly clear, the first two things on this list are true of everybody. Nobody escapes that. You were created for life, but you are living in death. The last two things we have through faith in Jesus Christ. So where are you on this list? Take stock of your own heart and your own faith and your own life. So many people come to church thinking, I'm earning brownie points with God. I'm trying to be a good person. I'm doing the right things. I'm participating in the right things. That's not the gospel. That's living out the gospel. Those are the effects of the gospel, the symptoms of the gospel, if you will, but those are not the gospel. We do not accomplish our own salvation by anything we do. The only thing that makes the difference between living in death and being saved by grace is Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. We cannot put anything of our own in that place. Lombardi held up the football because it defined the most important thing in the game. If they did all of their plays perfectly, but left the football behind, it wouldn't matter. And it's the same with us as a church. If we show love to one another during the coronavirus epidemic, if we figure out all the rules and regulations on how we're supposed to meet, Even if we get all the technology working, that would be a miracle. But if we did, if we had the best potlucks, the best boards, the best leadership, the best structures, but we didn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of it would mean anything. Oh, don't get me wrong. A lot of people would be really happy. A lot of people would enjoy the fellowship. They would enjoy the times and the singing and and the worship and participating in teams. They'd be great. It would be wonderful. And we'd have so much fun together. But without the gospel, it would be meaningless. Why are we here as a church? We need to make sure that we are keeping our eyes set on the core, the foundation the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what must define us, first as individuals and then collectively as a church. And over the next two weeks, we're going to look at that gospel a little more and how the gospel is God's great plan throughout all of history and how the gospel is God's great power to save even me and even you. People that would say, I'm not worth it, And there's no way you can change me. And God says, I've got a powerful gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we are easily distracted by lesser things.
We take our eyes off of these core truths. And sometimes we turn to things that are obviously sinful. Distractions, temptations. Sometimes we turn to things that have a, a, an appearance of importance. And might even be good in and of themselves. Sometimes we turn to religious activity to try to do good things and be good people. And God, those things are good, but without the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are meaningless. And so I pray, Father, during this confusing time in our world, may we see clearly to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just as the foundation of what we believed when we received Christ as our Savior, but as the foundation for everything we do, think, say, and interact in, in this world and as your church. And we praise you, Father, for the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.